0: Hello, everybody. So, a while back, during my first D&D campaign, I was running a villain who was kind of a, a wild shaper, but his main form of choice was not a normal creature. In fact, it was a yeti of sorts. And the way I set up the fight was pretty interesting, and my players ended up having a good time. But then later on down the road, I was just... Messing around on the internet, I don't even know why I looked it up, but I ended up looking up what Monster Hunter Monster stats would look like in D&D. And what I ended up finding actually surprised me quite a bit. Uh, Actually, on a website called GMBinder, or something to that effect, they have an entire PDF full of Monster Hunter stat blocks that are converted for D&D 5th edition. And I thought at the time, and I still think at the time, of recording at least, that this is really freaking cool. Like, kudos to whoever took the time to do this. But within that PDF is one of my favorite Monster Hunter monsters, Gas Harag. And if you know anything about Monster Hunter Rise, at least, Gas Harag is kind of like a yeti. And so I got to thinking, like, man, it would have really been cool to have used this Goss Harag stat block instead of the regular Yeti stat block that I had used at the time. Now, that's not to say that there are not some pretty cool monsters in D&D 5th Edition. In fact, that's what we're going to be doing this week is looking at my top 10 favorite monsters out of the D&D 5th Edition Monster Manual. Let's hit the intro and get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Bardic Inquisition podcast. I am your host, Vince. And before we get into the list proper, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Lisa Wolf, our newest patron over there on the Patreon for donating. So thank you very much. You are awesome, and I appreciate the support. And remember, guys, if you want in on this action for less than the price of two McDoubles, you can help support this show and keep us growing and going in the community. But without further ado, on to the list. Number 10. Methods. CR one quarter to one half. So, in case you haven't heard about the Mephit, a Mephit is a little devilish looking creature that's actually an elemental. It's not a devil of any kind, or a fiend, for that matter. They usually have, like, one spell. Some of them can camouflage, like, they can look like a pile of mud if it's a mud Mephit, for example. And one of the reasons that I really love these creatures is because they are low-level spellcasters that are pretty easy to kill or take out, and some of them have like a little death burst effect. And since the DCs are actually pretty low and easy to make, these actually make for a fun and interesting encounter that is not too powerful for a low-level party. Number 9. Zorn, CR5. Okay, I'm not gonna lie here, the stat block for the Zorn is nothing too impressive. I mean, Earth Glide is pretty cool, and it has multi-attack, but that's not why it's on the list. Why it's on the list is actually for an entirely separate reason. It is one of its abilities, but not really one that's relevant to combat per se. And that ability is called Treasure Sense. This ability allows the Zorn to detect treasure, like coins or gems, within 60 feet of it. Now, I like to tweak this a bit so that I can actually detect treasure that's, like, further away, for example. Because I like to use it as kind of a guide for the players, or a hint as to where some treasure might be. Number 8. Mind flares. CR 7. Now, the Mind flare is interesting, and I think most people have heard of a Mind Flayer, but I don't necessarily run them as traditional encounters. Well, not traditional combat encounters, anyway. In fact, where I like to play in the space of a Mind Flayer is as a third faction, sort of. So that if your party is exploring somewhere in the Underdark or in, say, even a cave with bandits, they might come across a Mind who is hungry but is not going to take on the party per se directly because he knows that they outnumber him. So the party ends up with this choice of, oh, do they want to side with the Mind or do they want to side with these bandits and try to collectively take out the Mind flayer? because a Mind is a powerful enemy. And if you decide to side with the Mind Flayer, there's this question constantly in the back of your mind of can you actually trust them? I have found, however, so far that most of my players do not trust the Mind Flayer and will find a way to betray them at some point. To be fair, that's probably the smartest thing to do because Mind Flayers are straight up evil. Number 7. Mimics CR2 The reason I like mimics is the same that I like the piercer, which I'm not talking about in this video, and another one that I will be talking about later on down the road, and that's that they make really good traps. A mimic can look like any object, but of course the main use of a mimic is to make them look like a treasure chest. This can be fun for Any party, really, but it's really great if you have a really greedy party member that likes to try to take the treasure when the other players aren't looking. So far, I have not had to use it for this purpose. It's still fun to think about. But it also has this secondary effect of almost instilling the party with sort of a uh, paranoia of sorts. Because once they see one Mimic, especially if it's fairly early in the dungeon, they suspect that every treasure chest they come across is also a mimic. So, it's just kind of funny to sit there and watch people, like, throw things at the treasure chest before they go to open it. Now, with all that said, Be careful if you are a DM and you decide to use mimics, because if you do make every single treasure chest a mimic, they will just stop opening treasure, or they'll just start fireballing everything as soon as they enter the room. Number six, Purple Worm, CR-15. This one is fairly simple. Have you ever seen the movie Tremors? Yeah, a giant freaking worm that pops out of the sand, can swallow your players, and also has poison. How cool is that? Number five. Flail Snail, CR3. Okay, so this thing isn't really that tough, especially if you have a lot of melee units in your party. However... The Flail Snail is still pretty cool, as it has an anti-magic shell, making it harder for spellcasters to fight, and it has a bunch of other cool abilities, such as its scintillating shell ability, which can potentially blind your players. But also, that's not even the cool part. The cool part is what you can do after you beat a Flail Snail. Because according to the monster manual entry for the Flail Snail, a Flail Snail's shell can be used to craft a Spell Guard shield or a Robe of Scintillating Colors. Man, I really wish that there were more monsters like this in 5th edition, but unfortunately, there's just what? The Displacer Beast? You can make a Robe of Displacement, I think? And then, of course, there's the fact that you're fighting a giant snail with a glowing shell that kind of punishes magic users. It kind of reminds me of that one snail thing that you fight at the beginning of Final Fantasy VI. Yeah, anyway. Number four. Dragons. Various CRs. As far as actually running dragons go, I don't really like to run the younger versions of the dragons, and in fact prefer to run the older versions of the dragons, for a few simple reasons. For one, the game is called Dungeons and Dragons, and while it's cool for a low level party to be able to fight a dragon, I just kind of feel like that should be reserved for players that have been playing the game for a while and want to take on a high-level threat. I guess you can say I feel like it's one of those things that should be earned, but another reason is that while low-level dragons are fine and all, the older versions of them are just way more interesting. That, and typically by the time a dragon reaches adulthood, or has been around for a while at least, they've accumulated more treasure and probably have a decent sized lair. See, in my mind, a dragon encounter is not about necessarily just the fight itself, but it's about the entire situation surrounding that dragon. Because dragons are not simple creatures, they are very, very complex. I mean, look at Tolkien's The Hobbit. The entire book is leading up to the fight with the dragon. And that's essentially why I like dragons, because they are not just a monster, they are an entire plot. And your players should feel awesome just for beating the dragon. Number 3. Flying Swords at CR 1 quarter and Animated Armor at CR 1. So, to scale things back a bit, (laughs) see what I did there? The flying sword and animated armor are actually pretty cool monsters because the party never sees that coming. And where I really have the most fun with these two monsters is when they're paired up with a humanoid. The orc throws down his battle axe, and the battle axe begins to rise and fly on its own. I mean, the first time your party sees this happen, they're gonna be like, what is even going on? Imagine a knight takes off their armor, and then the armor gets up and starts moving towards the party. How crazy does that seem? As for the actual stats of the monster, it's nothing too impressive. However, it's just a fun little thing to throw at your players, especially if they're new or have never seen this happen before. Number two. Gelatinous Cube, CR2. The first time I went to go look up the Gelatinous Cube ever to use it in a campaign, I was surprised that the CR of the Gelatinous Cube was so low. CR2? That's like a second level party. But after actually using the Gelatinous Cube, I realized that it's, yeah, you don't use it as an actual, like, threat it's more of a surprise, kind of a trap. And don't get me wrong, you can kill a player with a gelatinous cube, almost how you could technically kill a player with a dart trap. But the reason that the gelatinous cube is famous is obviously for the same reason the Mimic is famous, is it's meant to throw off your players. You cannot see a gelatinous cube, they are by default invisible. So if you want to surprise your party, you can just stick one of these things down a narrow hallway and chances are they're just going to run into it. Or better yet, if you want to get really creative, you can combine this with other traps, say a pit trap, for example. So your party trips the trap, the floor opens up, and they fall into the pit, and then a gelatinous cube falls on top of them, or is already waiting in the bottom. But yeah, that's the gelatinous cube, it's really cool, and there's a reason why it's so well known. Number 1, Beholders, but not really. Much like a lot of the other creatures I've mentioned in this list, Beholders are really well known. A lot of new players will probably instantly recognize the image of a beholder from either the Monster Manual or other various merchandise for D&D, and a lot of veteran players have probably fought beholders in the past. So they probably know what they look like. They probably know about their anti-magic cone and about their various different lasers that they can shoot from their eye stalks. But you know what monster that nobody ever talks about, and most players probably know nothing about? The Death Kiss. The Gas Spore. The Gazer. The Beholder Zombie. The Spectator. These are all things in the Monster Manual that look like Beholders. That's their entire gimmick, almost. And a lot of them are actually pretty cool. But, as you probably guessed, I like subverting expectations, so naturally, these things appeal a lot to me. So the first time you throw something like a spectator or a gas spore at your party, they're probably going to be thinking, Oh my gosh, why are you throwing a beholder at us? We're only level 3. And they might run away, or they might actually stay and try to fight the thing. And when they beat it, they'll either be like, oh man, beholders are really easy, or man, I cannot believe we beat that thing. Let me guess, that wasn't a real beholder, was it? But either way, both beholders and the things that look like them tend to be really fun monsters to run, because most of them have those I-beam attacks. And that just adds a nice little pinch of flavor and variety and a little bit of randomness to the fight which I really enjoy. But I think that's enough monster talk for today. Let's go ahead and move on to the outro. Alright, guys, that is it. That's the list. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode this week. Did you agree with my list, or do you have your own opinions, and what are those opinions? Feel free to let me know by sending me an email at bardinquisition at yahoo.com, or you can find me on Twitter at bardinquisition. If you want to support this podcast, give us a like on whatever platform that you use, and share this podcast with your friends. If you want to support us in a more monetary way, though, you can do so at patreon.com slash bardicinquisition. But that's all I've got for this week, guys. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week, and hey, maybe uh, take a look in that monster manual. like imagine the iron throne from game of thrones as just a bunch of flying swords crazy